0: Hello, my name is Russell Parsons and I'm the editor of Marketing Week. 2017 has been quite the year, macroeconomically and geopolitically. Marketing is not immune from any of that, of course, and has offered up its own drama this year. Economist Mark Ritson has catalogued all the key moments in his weekly columns, and I caught up with him earlier this month to discuss his stories of the year. So Mark, what's your first marketing moment of the year?
1: Oh, I think in terms of both sequence and importance, you have to have at number one the Mark Pritchard speech in January about Mm -hmm. what he was looking for in terms of the changes and improvements in in digital media in marketing. I I think it's a landmark speech, and it has to be the singular marketing moment of the year, even though it happened all the way back. I think it was in January.
0: It was, yeah. It was... um a little blueprint, I suppose, for the rest of the year, wasn't it? Setting out a marker and a challenge for the entire ecosystem. What was it particularly that Pritchard said? Because other people have talked about this and around this before. Uh, Keith Weed, WFA, have, uh, have made some big pronouncements on uh, on these areas before. What was it that Pritchard did do you think that caught the attention and caught your attention in particular?
1: Oh, I, I think. I mean, what he was asking for, I think, has subsequently become sort of quite commonplace. You know, cross-media metrics and more transparency, and 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 you know, and so forth. I, so, I think what he what he's asked, what he's been asking for this year, is 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 pretty standard now. I think it was the way that he did it. So. I think he had an absolute strategy that he was gonna do this in January to oh. give, you know, the, the the media companies twelve months and I think he's absolutely serious that if they haven't reached their goals by the end of the year he'll pull his money. So I think it was more the way it was executed, which I thought was first class. And I think it's old school P and G oh. to be able to have that kind of still have that kind of influence, even though they're a declining force. To really get Facebook and Google, Google back in line. Mm. Uh, so I think that's what grabbed my attention. I mean, it was ahead of its time. It's just at the minute he said that, everyone else kind of trotted out the same message. Mm. If, if you notice that before he said it, no one else was really saying it. I mean, calling it, you know, fraudulent at work, you know, was it murky at best and fraudulent at worst? These are strong words. Yeah. They've since become far more common. But back in January, it was. I think it was pretty unheralded. Mm,
0: I suppose, well, a being the world's biggest advertiser, and secondly, using colourful uh, and very, uh, very dramatic adjectives like murky um, do help uh, focus minds, don't they? Oh, so great! Uh, yep. Mark Pritchard's January speech—your uh, first marketing moment of the year. Tell me about your second.
1: Oh, uh, and then you really, really have to go to the to the latest in the long line of Facebook measurement um, balls up for want of a better word. Um, <laughs> and I think the, the Facebook reach saga that played out um, a couple of months ago, so you'll recall that if you use Facebook's own reach tool, um, I mean, across the world, but if you focus on the UK, I think it was that Facebook claimed to reach more than 12 million 20-year-olds uh, 20, 20 in the UK, which is a fantastic performance because there's only 8.8 million of them that actually exist. And I think there's a couple of things here that I, you know, it, 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 it's stunning, right? First of all, it's a complete and utter nonsense. Hmm. I mean, reach is, the, reach is one of those things, you know, you, you, don't, you don't get wrong. I mean, it's not that hard. Second, there was no real explanation as to why it was off by, you know, 40% um, from Facebook, who clearly have no idea... what the the glitch is, but are working behind the scenes to find it out. Yeah. You know, the the, the statement was a non-denial, not, you know, denial. And then finally, most people didn't really care. So you've got, you know, people were, so there's nothing to see here, move on. Sure, yeah, Facebook are claiming to reach 3 million more 20-year-olds than actually exist in the UK and 20 million more than exist in America. But hey, you know, that's not a big deal, just move on. And I just think it's a stunning testimony to how, underwhelmed we are now and how low our uh, expectations are of the media, that, that we were quite happy in marketing land to sort of say, oh yeah, they're completely miscounting, but let's, let's just not worry about that right now.
0: I mean, what is it then? I mean, why are people so ready to, um, to look the other way? Are they just um, completely enthralled um, by Facebook and other social channels that um, they're prepared to look over the screamingly obviously wrong?
1: Yeah, I think the tribalism within marketing now between the so-called digital and so-called traditional camps means that the digital guys are immediately, you know, able to come up with some explanation. I mean, this was a perfect example. You know, you had hundreds of marketers saying maybe the census is wrong because the way they measure the census is very outdated. So you've got this sort of Rosh test where... You know, if you believe in digital marketing and have a DNA title, there's a perfectly good explanation for everything. Mm. And if you work in traditional areas in TV, you go crazy about it, but no one really cares because they say, well, you work in TV, you would think that. Mm. So I think the death, of, the death of truth, which has happened generally in society, partly thanks to Facebook, um, has, has certainly invaded marketing. And, you know, there's not a lot you can do anymore about things like this Either way, you know, this is number, what, error number 12 or 13 from mm. Facebook, but there'll still be more, and so I just think you, you just, uh, you see it for what it is, which is kind of post-modernity in marketing, you know, the death of all truth and reality.
0: <laughs> that really should be a potentious note to finish on, but we're only two yeah. into your marketing moments of the year, <laughs> so give me your third one.
1: Well, the next one, I, I think I'll go with brand safety. Um a couple of reasons why I've picked brand safety. Mm. So, as, as, as you're aware, and I listeners will be aware. So, brand safety is, is a unique, or not unique, it's a new phenomenon. Because in the old days, we would spend literally, you know, months or even years, in one case in my career, waiting for a very specific position in a very specific media for a client. And now, of course, with the advent of, of you know, almost uh, infinite media channels and com- uh, combinations, we have to use I mean, we have to use some form of programmatic system because we're really effectively buying by customer rather than by media site and what that it's revealed a kind of interesting pattern which has happened two or three times this year with big stories and they're always the same pattern which is brand safety really scared a lot of companies at the start of the year into pulling particularly their money from programmatic programmatic fed you know the brand safety problem you didn't know where your ads were going to appear but when companies did that, what they discovered was there was no real apparent impact on any of their performance metrics for marketing. You know, P and G found that that 120 million dollars they were spending on programmatic that they cut back because of brand safety concerns. There was no noticeable impact on on the ROI they were expecting when they yeah. cut that huge sum of money out. J P Morgan Chase reduced. The, the number of programmatic sites they were buying on from 400,000 down to 5,000 and saw no demonstrable impact. I mean, even Uber, you know, more recently, they're now suing one of their media agencies, their digital agencies, pulled $8 million a month from, uh, from, from Fetch, I think it is, a uh, publicist group because of what they claim are fraudulent activities yeah. and saw no big impact on the downloads of the Uber app. So I think what's happening with this story is you see brand safety creates a, a big question mark about programmatic. Brands pull out of programmatic, and despite all this nonsense about it's automated, and it's got amazing ROI, and it's machine learning, it's not possible to pull $120 million a year or $8 million a month or cut your number of sites down by 99%. And not see any demonstrable impact. Something is rotten inside the programmatic system, and I'm not just talking about the media structures. It's not as effective as we're being told. Yeah.
0: So, have we reached a sort of inflection, a sort of watershed, um, where people, where brands are going to be a lot more sober um, and realistic about their use of programmatic, or are we on the no? No,
1: I think. No, I, I think, I think it's no, I, I think it would be optimistic to look at it that way. I think that if you look at the numbers, it's still ramping up exponentially, the amount yeah. of money being spent on programmatic. Uh, I, I think it will continue. I don't think we'll use the word programmatic forever. I think it's too tainted. But yeah. the world of automated buying and advertising exchanges... I mean, let's be clear, it, we, have to, we have to crack it, and it has to eventually replace media agencies and direct media buying and so on. There's no other... Uh, you know, there's no other future that, that doesn't involve advertising exchange across yeah. uh, all media. By the way, but yeah. and we need programmatic or whatever we're going to call it. But we're a long way from getting out of the wild west, um, and and things will get, I think, a lot more fraudulent and non-transparent. Well, they are right now. Before they get any better,
0: um, your fourth moment of the year.
1: So my fourth moment of the year is, de- of the year is definitely uh, Fearless Girl. Um, which mm. I thought was probably the what, what I liked about the. So if we if we track back, so Fearless Girl is the most awarded uh, creative campaign of the year um, uh, by a country mile. And just so any, you know you know.
0: Sorry, just for anybody uh, who doesn't know um, what what is um, or was Fearless Girl.
1: Well so Fearless Girl was um a, a small statue a little bronze statue so in Wall in, down in Wall Street yeah um there is a uh, extremely uh, famous iconic statue of a bull which sits right in the middle of the uh of the financial district a beautiful bronze bull statue uh, next to it a um a, a, the the agency responsible put a uh, a really kind of beautiful, small. I guess she's about a looks like about a six year old girl yeah. standing, hands on hips, staring back at the bull. And 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 the client responsible for the campaign is a company called State Street, who are basically a, a big um, private finance company and broker. And they were making the point that they're only going to invest from now on in companies that have good gender representation on their boards and so on. And the Fearless Girl statue campaign won, I, you know, an umpteen number of, yeah. of, of, of awards at Cannes and everything else, most easily the most awarded campaign in the year, and got tons of coverage because it was all about brand purpose and State Street exemplified all that and the campaign was purpose-driven. Yeah. And then it, it transpired a couple of months ago that State Street had just um, had to settle a massive pay dispute with the american government because they weren't paying their women the same amount as their men inside the company and they weren't paying people of color the same amount of money as there were white uh, people uh, in the company and so I, I, that story tragically but importantly illustrates that all brand purpose with about six exceptions are a total load of pants and what really struck me as sad is there's about eight thousand stories about fearless girl and how awesome it is and how the agency was great and how brand purpose is awesome and nobody bloody mentioned that it turned out to all be total nonsense. And of course, it is all nonsense. This brand purpose rubbish, is marketers who don't feel comfortable working in marketing trying to claim they do something far more important for society, which they clearly don't do.
0: Yeah. Um, just for the uh, just for the record, you said there were si- about
1: six examples where it does work. Give me give me one of those. Well, my favourite my favourite is Unilever, I, I, and I can say that because I've been trying. You know, uh, the Luxembourg leaks, which I studied quite a lot because I found it fascinating, was where uh, a consultant sort of revealed all the companies that were essentially doing a legal but hugely immoral uh, tax reduction exercise via Luxembourg. And every company, and I mean every company, did that except for Unilever. And I actually went went through everything because I wanted to write a story about what a load of crap Unilever's brand purpose stuff is, but I came <laughs> out of it going, you know, you know what? They're the only real deal, and yeah. you know they handled Ben and Jerry so well. Yeah. Paul Pullman is is a straight shooter, and I think Unilever are a amazing and B um, they don't talk about it because again, one of the things about brand purpose is if you try and claim as many ridiculous agencies do that there's a tremendous return on investment for brand purpose, you immediately undermine brand purpose completely because the purpose of brand purpose. Is not to make money. Otherwise, if I turn up and, and show you that launching a Third Reich-style approach to society will make you more money, you would change tack. Yeah. And so, I, I think that <laughs> what's great about Unilever, what's great about Unilever is they they have a purpose. They're driven by it. They walk the walk, and they don't talk about it. Yeah. But I think they are very much one of the few exceptions. And you know, State Street, Joint, Starbucks, Coca Cola, all the banks, you know, who are fine companies. Don't get me wrong. But whose purpose is clearly, you know, to sell sugared, car- carbonated beverages, not to, you know, provide the world with truth, light and, and the future.
0: Mm. So be proud of uh, what your purpose is, which is um, entirely reasonable and entirely proper. Make money um, and don't pretend you're something that you're not because
1: you'll just end up falling flat
0: on your face. Um,
1: yeah, well, I'd like. I, well, I say, I say three things from a marketing point of view, right? Absolutely right. I mean, turning a profit, there's no shame in turning a profit, yeah. and particularly for your share, shareholders in the company. But also take pride in making a good product. Um, you know, don't brew a better world if you're Heineken. Just brew a great beer. There's no there's no shame in that. And, and most importantly, take delight in making customers happy uh, with your products and services and, and, and what you stand for. It, it's not... You know, I I really fear there's a lot of people in West London who are embarrassed to say, well, I actually market beer, or I market coffee. You know, it's just not cool enough for them, which is a shame because there's nothing cooler than working in marketing and making honest profits by offering good products to satisfy customers. You know, if you don't like those three elements and you really do want to make a societal impact, go and work for Oxfam. Um,
0: Amen to that. I'm sure a lot of people will agree. So the... Uh, purpose or the exposure of purpose that was your fourth moment of the year and um, give me a fifth
1: uh, look, I look this is a general one but I think it's an important one you have to put the, the gradual squeeze of the digital duopoly um, and it's it's continual grasp of of digital advertising money but also just general advertising money And so between Google and Facebook, the estimates vary wildly. And you can literally pull 10 different sites that estimate their share of digital uh, British advertising to be anything from 50 to 80%. But the point is, it's a big share and it's growing because Facebook are growing at 40% per year and Google are growing at 20% per year. And both of these companies, make no mistake, Are advertising companies something like 96 or 97 percent of their respective revenues come from advertising? And so, what we're going to see over the next 10 years is unavoidable. These two companies will dominate the world of advertising um, from many different perspectives, not least as digital grows, but also as they put their tentacles into TV advertising, into outdoor. There is no scenario I can see where Google and Facebook don't end up with two-thirds of the total advertising spend in the United Kingdom. They're already well past 50%, Mm. and it's certainly going to reach two-thirds, unavoidably. Mm. Um, And there's nothing that can stop them. And, And I think we enter unprecedented territory that, you know, the European Union will continue to find them, but it will have no demonstrable impact, and the American government, which is Toothless these days and broken will not break up these giant companies that should be broken up. Yeah, and so what we're going to see is a is a darkening um, around those two
0: giant shadows. Yeah, and people have talked about um, well the rise and the rise of Amazon, obviously both as a retailing juggernaut, but um, as a as a potential well challenge to that duopoly or, or, or simply a redistribution yes. to three. What, what, what's your take on
1: that? I think it's, it's, it's actually a very clever but, but um, very uh, uh, dis, disingenuous move. So I, I, I really like the work of Scott Galloway in the in U.S., Professor mm. Scott Galloway in the U.S. You know, I think he's the leading think on this, but I disagree with him on this point. I don't think Amazon gives a damn about advertising. They're a retailer, and they're certainly going to grow, and they're certainly going to have a, a, a lot to say about the future. But one of the, you know, we know a lot about duopolies. Before the digital duopoly, there were many other duopolies out there. And one of the hallmarks of a duopoly is they're constantly inventing a third and fourth alternative, which they push as evidence that they're not a duopoly. You know, the duopoly will never admit it's a duopoly. Um, they'll always pretend there's others out there. And I, I think Amazon's a red herring. Um, Amazon's not interested in advertising, Amazon is interested in domination, but it's a retailer. And so I, I think, you know, a year ago, it was or two years ago, we talked about Snapchat as if it was going to mm. come around. Well, look what happened to Snapchat. They're in free-fall mode. Uh, Apple is not the company it was. It's now very clearly beginning to fall backwards, it, it, quite clearly. And, I, you know, I'd like to give myself some credit here. and I, I was the one writing about Coca-Cola, you know, two years ago, saying that they were a spent force. And I got quite a lot of, of, of you know, of, not abuse but criticism for that, you know, at the time. Mm. And then, of course, it becomes apparent that Coke the brand is is clearly a, a spent force. Apple is equally clearly now receding backwards, despite having an amazing ten years. It's very clearly lost track against the duopoly. So, yeah, I think that you know there isn't an, there isn't a third wheel here. There's just the duopoly, and they will grow and strengthen at exponential rates, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. If you can't join them, you, you better be ready to be beaten by them. Mm.
0: Um, there's five uh, marketing moments of the year, which seems like a nice round number. So you've got Pritchard or Mark Pritchard's speech from January, uh, yep. Facebook's measurement woes, uh, brand safety and, and the, um, the subsequent reflections on the role of programmatic, uh, Fearless Girl being an example of, um, I suppose, purpose being exposed for what it is, um, and the digital duopoly. Um, collectively, perhaps Bar Pritchard's speech that does paint quite a, uh, a well, dare I say, it, pessimistic uh, reflection on 2017. Is there anything that? Um, uh, happened, Mark, this year that gives you hope for marketing's very soul uh, going into 2018? Let's see if we can't send people away uh, with a spring in their step as they approach the new year.
1: Uh, there isn't a lot, and I, I'm not typically <laughs> miserable, you know, I, I do normally, I mean, there's a couple of worries. First of all, you're absolutely right, it's a very miserable list, and also it's extremely tactical and communications-focused. Um, troubles me just as much because yeah. I, I'm really, really um, aware of the fact that we have become not just tactical but pretty much obsessed with communications and it really isn't that big a part of marketing. There's so many other aspects that, that we have to deal with and yet you know, every week I try not to write about communications and Facebook and Google and media agencies but this, as you know, The biggest story every week at the moment is you know, I mean, you know, Facebook and the Russian secret service, I mean you know, you couldn't make this stuff up, so no, it's pretty miserable I mean, if there's one, again slightly miserable but positive sign, I think it's the work of Cindy Gallup with respect to diversity in advertising so, it obviously starts from a miserable place, but there's a real sense, and I don't know where she'll get to you know, as you know, there are rumours about you know a list of agency and marketing clients who have, you know, obviously been been you know, doing all kinds of of power games and and sexual predatory antics for many years, has has been circulated now and is is at some point going to be revealed. It does have a slight worry that it might turn into a bit of a witch hunt. But to be fair, for it to be a witch hunt, it has to kind of be fictional. And it's clear that as we get more and more names from entertainment and politics, you know senior, relatively old men appear to be, or a significant proportion of them appear to be unable to behave appropriately. So we have to believe that there's a ton of names in marketing. I mean, the structure of our industry is one in which, you know, we all start, most of us started out with more women than men interested in marketing in, you know, in the late 80s in my case. And now when you reach your late 40s, early 50s, there's just old men around you. So the first point is there's a sort of, you know, more diluted form of, of, of gender issue which is just where did all the women go we've, we've not done a good job there at the senior levels it doesn't make sense and then second that is clearly a fertile hunting ground for senior men to prey upon younger uh women who are in a power relationship with them as we've seen in other industries and you've got to you've got to unfortunately bet that's happening. So what Cindy Gallup is doing in her own inimitable way is trying to get the conversation going and spark a little bit of conflict and and get that out there. And I think that has to be a positive thing. And I've found, to be honest with you, that when I've done any speaking this year, the response when we talk about diversity is the audience, which again is predominantly female because marketing is predominantly female. Um, The audience doesn't want to get off the topic. There's a clear sense that this is something they want to talk about, and they don't just want it to be moved on to the next slide. And so, I, I do have a feeling that. Uh, and I talked to a group in New Zealand last uh, month about about this very topic. It was one of the topics we discussed. And I told them that I, I, many years ago, I did a research paper on gay subcultures um, altering T-shirts and logos to create a gay version of the brands that reflected their identity. Because at the time, and this is going back. This is going back twenty years. Brands didn't acknowledge their gay customers, mm. and um, so it was a paper about subcultures and brand identity. And I was living in the states at the time, but I got research money to go to several gay pride marches around the world and interview the people who were making and selling these gay uh, branded t-shirts. Mm. And one of the things that I, I discovered in that summer of travelling around was what it was like to be. I was I was quite young and attractive once upon a time, Russell. You'll find that hard to believe, but we um, can believe. And you're I, you're I wandered young. around. <laughs> <laughs> As I wandered around the various gay pride marches of America and Europe in my in my tart and shorts and t shirt, I found myself very occasionally uh, on the receiving end of some quite remarkable sexual uh, um, uh, uh, antics. You know, you know, I'd interview men who were making stuff up in order to try and you know get their leg over, basically, which is completely appropriate at gay pride march. You know, but I felt what it was like just briefly, in a very superficial way, this is not, you know, my whole career, obviously, but I felt what it was like to be hunted um, uh, um, uh, on a sexual basis, albeit quite briefly, by, by several men who were bigger and stronger and older than me. And that very brief, and I'm not comparing that experience to what many women have gone through throughout their careers, is very important, because I don't think men know what it feels like for to, to, for someone to feign interest in them, and then you discover halfway through, oh, they're just trying to, Trying to have sex with me, and I, I think that's a, a that's a very important insight. And I, and I did, I do feel that a that is happening, and b that what Cindy Gallup is doing is good. It's just apparent that we haven't heard a lot in the last month or so, so it may be, you know, dying off a little bit. Let's see. Mm.
0: Um, well, let's hope that the what is it the phrase the um, the night is darkest before the dawn um, that there will be some positivity that comes out. Um, of uh, revelations across all industries in, in all walks of life. Um, thank you, Mark. That was uh, that's fantastic. Um, you can obviously read uh, more of Mark's thoughts every week on MarketingWeek.com. In the meantime, Mark Ritson, thanks for your time.